The key to small business success is maintaining strong relationships with your customers. That's what Constant Contact has been helping small businesses do for over 25 years. With their robust suite of email and digital marketing tools, you don't have to be a marketing pro to find customers, build relationships, and grow your business. Constant Contact's digital marketing platform makes it easy to send automated emails, manage all your contacts, grow your list, advertise on social media, and more. And with all the data you need at your fingertips, it's easy to see what your customers respond to. Constant Contact takes the guesswork out of communicating with your customers effectively. Start building, expanding, and nurturing your customer base to drive better results. Go to ConstantContact.com to get started for free today. Constant Contact. All the digital marketing tools you need, all in one place. Your four-year-old can discover the joy of learning. Waterford Upstart is a proven effective pre-K learning program that includes fun songs, games, and activities that prepare your child for success in school. We provide all the tools you need to help your child learn to read, including a coach, a computer, and internet access. And because it's already paid for, it's free for you. Listen, uncomplicate the way you do pre-K. Enroll today at waterfordupstart.org. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Now, thank you very much for joining me back this week. We have had a probably about a week or so without any episode, so I do apologise profusely for that, and I hope you all forgive me. Um, unfortunately, I have been working up north, so for those of you who do know what job I do, uh, my recording equipment is left down south, and when I work up north for the week, I have no access to it and therefore cannot record. So I do apologise for that, but hopefully we shall make up, uh, make up for it this week by giving you two episodes. Now, the first episode you've already had... And that is with my father, and that was the Lady Be Good, which uh, a lot of you did guess, uh, some of you did guess it wrong, so I was quite impressed with that one, uh, when people guessed them wrong. This one, I think, was probably a little bit easier. Now, before I get into the episode today, guys, I would just like to say thank you very, very much to Jess, or Jessica, I don't know which you'd prefer, um, but thank you very much for joining my Patreon, and you do not know how much that actually means to me. You guys who join my Patreon and who actually pay uh, money to this podcast uh, just want you to know that it will be reinvested and I am looking at getting some new equipment uh, in the next few months, um, hopefully a new laptop with slightly better storage because I am running out of space now when I'm coming up to 105 episodes. So for those of you who are on Patreon and think, well, I don't really want to pay, or those of you who aren't on Patreon, should I say, and think, well, I don't really want to pay for it, it's just going to get wasted, the money is reinvested back into the podcast, so it does keep uh, keep going. Um, it is $5 a month. I know I say this every week, guys, but obviously um, it is really important to, to keep this podcast going. Um, and like I said, it's uh, less than a price of coffee. 
Price of coffee? Cup of coffee. It's very early in the morning for you guys who don't know. I'm actually recording at 6 o'clock in the morning. So uh, I'm not 100% awake yet. And saying that, I haven't had my coffee this morning. But without further ado, we shall talk about probably the most famous drug lord of all time. The man whose picture comes to mind every time we think of cocaine. Now, we are talking about none other than Don Pablo Escobar, or Pablo Emilio Escobar Gaviria, which is his full name. Now, Pablo was born on the 1st of December 1949, and he was born to Abel de Jesus Escobar and his wife Hamilda. I'm not going to pronounce all the names because uh, each one has about three or four names. Some of these uh, I'm not very good at. I'm sure many of you are aware my pronunciation is not always the best. But he, like I said, he was born on the 1st of December and he was born in a place called Rio Negro. Now this was just outside of Medellin, Colombia. He was actually the third of seven children. Okay, so he was middle of the road. He wasn't uh, He wasn't the oldest, he wasn't the youngest, he was, yeah, just a middle child. Um, his dad was a farmer and his mother was an elementary school teacher. Now, he was raised, like I said, in the city of Medellin because it was the local city to him. And when he was around sort of 12, 12, 13 years old, they moved from Rio Negro to a different area, Again, just outside Medellin, so his mum could found a elementary school. Now, it was said that young Pablo was a very good student. Believe it or not, he was actually quite well behaved. He was definitely one of the brighter students in the in the class. Um, and this probably had something to do with the fact that his mum was a teacher. So, um, I try and drum into my children... Um, the importance of schooling and my kids I would say are probably in the top echelons of their classes as well um, and I, I think that's something that comes from um, teaching as a parent you do tend to force that onto the kids which uh, you know it doesn't always work but um, it does tend to be um, a, a thing <laughs> it does tend to be a thing I know my kids uh, get annoyed when I talk to them about history and things like that. So, um, But getting off topic there, Pablo Escobar was, like I said, he was a, a pretty decent student. Now, his main thing at school was his love of football. Now, sorry for all you Americans out there, but I am talking about actual football, not American football. Um, American football obviously being played with the hands doesn't really fit the name football but anyway um for those of you who do know that's not actually a dig because I am a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan and absolutely love American football so um yeah it's not a dig it's just a joke anyway I'm getting really sidetracked this morning you can tell it's early morning when I'm getting sidetracked Pablo Escobar had a love of football he was quite a chubby kid. Now, this is something that kind of stayed with him his whole life. He was always slightly overweight. Um, even in pictures that you see of him in prison, you see pictures of him uh, just in general. Um, 
he's cursed with what I'm cursed with, and that is being overweight, um, unfortunately for him. But he didn't affect his love of the game, um, and he enjoyed playing soccer uh, throughout his entire life. Uh, I've just called it soccer there. Bloody hell. Yeah, it is early, isn't it? Um, Pablo, although enjoyed his sports, enjoyed quite a lot of team games as well, he found himself at the age of 13 falling in with the wrong crowd of people. Something that we all do at some point. Now, his crowd of people were what I would like to call anarchists. Uh, they they tended to go against the law. Um, they were caught, he was caught throwing rocks at police cars. Um, little things like that. They were taught, or not taught, but they were supposed to disobey their parents. They were supposed to go against the societal norms in Colombia. Um, although that sounds really bad, it was pretty common. Um, Medellin being such a big drug capital, it was very, very important for the people of the town to keep the drug business going. Now, the drug business obviously sounds quite bad, but the general person in Medellin would have a vested interest in the drug trade. They may not partake or sell or anything like that, but they realize that the town itself is funded by the drug trade, and if the drug trade was to die off, the town would die off. So it's, it's, um, it was essential to everybody who lived in the city um, to make sure that this drug trade stayed as lucrative as possible. So when you've got youngsters doing things like this, you might sort of think, well, this is this is obviously a gateway to to him doing what he did. Um, probably wasn't. It was probably just the fact that everybody in the town was doing the same thing. You know, everybody had that vested interest to make sure that the drug trade stayed lucrative and stayed available to everyone, so the town prospered. Obviously, in a situation like that, the police have a very very difficult job on their hands because literally. Anybody and everybody could do anything to do with drugs. So he's in a situation now where, as a young child, he turns to drugs himself. Now, around 13 years old, he tried cannabis for the first time. And this is something that he was addicted to his entire life. So even when he died, um, it was said that he was still addicted to cannabis and still would smoke weed on a regular basis. Pablo, now 16 years old, decides that school is not really for him. He drops out the following year at 17. And the 16-year-old Pablo starts to get his iconic look. Um, and that is the pencil moustache, the slightly chubby figure. Um, again, quite a short man. He was five foot six at this point. Um I don't think he grew much more than that. I think he was sort of five foot seven, five foot eight at, at, at full height, at adult height. Um, so, what we would say as a short man syndrome. So, something that uh, he clearly suffered from. <laughs> Same as all of us who are under the six foot barrier. I'm five foot six for those of you who don't know. So, uh, I definitely suffer from short man syndrome. But the 17 year old Pablo leaves school and starts his own business now his business is a bicycle repair shop or a bike repair shop um, where he basically 
goes around the streets looking for discarded bikes, thrown away bikes, um, bikes that are found in tips and dumps, um, and repairs bikes with parts that he's found on the streets. Um, this actually is quite lucrative for him. He he actually is quite good at it. Um, you know, it makes him quite a bit of money. And for a kid at such a young age, making some money is obviously it can go either way all right and in and obviously in Pablo's case the money he was making just wasn't enough and we go down the road of crime now Pablo used his money from his bike shop to buy himself a motorbike which was a Lambretta and with his Lambretta he would use this to rob buildings or businesses so he would approach the business go in with a balaclava gun or knife demand the money from behind the till, jump back on the bike, and leave. All right, pretty simple robbery stuff. Um, one story does suggest that he was stealing headstones from graveyards, sandblasting the names off and reselling the headstones. Um, not sure if there's any truth to that story, but there is definitely certain rumours that go around that. Um, he later recruited his cousin to basically ride the motorbike while he would jump off the back of the bike and it would be a slightly quicker escape because the bike would already be running. Um, so yeah, this was this was his foray or his entrance into the crime world. This obviously has its risks and he was looking for a way of making quick cash but with less risk. Now he actually found a, uh, trying to think of the word, a, a client? I'm not sure. Is that the right word? Confidant? Someone. He found someone uh, who worked for Renault. Uh, Renault car dealers. And what this person would do would be to give Pablo the copy of keys of cars that had just been sold. And the address of the person who bought the car. Therefore, meaning all Pablo had to do was turn up to the address, put the key in the car, and drive the car away very risk-free not likely to get attacked by a shop owner he could do it in the middle of the night no one would even know the car was gone until the morning very safe still bad but very safe in comparison to what he was doing unfortunately for the young pablo as a teenager he got caught in the act of stealing a vehicle and was arrested and sent to prison but it was in this prison where pablo escobar learnt his trade he learnt how to get into kidnapping how to get into murder um, and how to get into bigger crimes whilst he was behind bars and they do say this a lot with criminals that when they are arrested at such a young age they learn bigger crimes from just basically being behind bars once pablo was back on the streets him and his cousin went right back to stealing cars now, they actually competed in sort of rally races where they take stolen cars, make them faster and steal other bits of other cars, build cars together, um, and Pablo raced these cars. Now, Pablo's slight advantage was there were other people stealing cars in Medellin. He wasn't the only gangster out there or the only thug out there stealing cars. Everyone was doing it, which meant that a lot of people wanted their cars to be looked after and he goes into racketeering or protection where he would 
basically say to people would pay him money and he would basically stop their cars from being stolen. It's quite a lucrative business as we found out from people like Al Capone throughout history. Um, Racketeering is a very good business if you are good at it and Pablo was certainly very good at it. People who got caught under Pablo would find themselves uh, kidnapped very quickly. The kidnap would then have a ransom if the ransom was paid. Sometimes they were let out. On other times, if you got kidnapped by Pablo Escobar and you paid your ransom to be released, he could just kill you anyway. Um, He was that unpredictable that many people were just killed even though they followed his rules they did what they were supposed to do they paid their ransom um to be released and he'd just kill you anyway and that installs fear into people it wasn't a case of well if he get if i get caught i'm safe you know i just pay the money and i'm safe it was oh no this this car's protected by pablo escobar we don't touch this car you know it was that sort of fear that he installed into people um, that basically stayed with him his entire life Pablo's now seen how lucrative kidnapping can be and instead of hiring his own thugs to do it he does it himself he becomes a kidnapper and he goes for people just for the sake of going for them you know he will pick certain people in public figures just to kidnap them just to make some money now he had one choice and decided to kidnap a man called Diego Acaveria now Acaveria was extremely disliked by the local population he was a businessman quite rich and he was a man who had he was seen as like an elite uh, he was the businessman who was taking jobs away from people. He was the businessman who was causing a lot of poverty in Medellin to line his own pockets. Um, whether this was true or not, this was his public perception. And Escobar kidnapped him. Now, the ransom was paid. I think it was $50,000. Um, he was paid and the man was released. Now, unfortunately for Mr. Acaveria. Pablo didn't just release him, um, they beat him to a pulp and dumped his body in a ditch. Um, he survived, but uh, the lasting memory is something that would probably never leave him. Because of this, because of his choice of victim, Pablo Escobar became a local celebrity. He'd now become the man who would stand up for the little man the man who would put himself in danger for the common people of Medellin something that they've never had before he was like their Batman in 1971 Pablo Escobar enters into the trade that makes him famous and that is for those of you who haven't worked out yet the drug trade Uh, Pablo Escobar starts off as a pedal horse essentially um just peddling drugs quite low grade but does make some serious money um 
he decides, no, I want more than this. I want more money. Um, this isn't a big enough slice of the pie. And he goes over to Ecuador and purchases five kilos of cocaine paste. He then drives it back into Colombia, gets through all the checkpoints, and converts it from cocaine paste into cocaine powder. He then approaches a local drug lord, a different one to who he works for, and attempts to make the sale. A man named Fabio Restrepo. Now, this makes Pablo almost $100,000. Now, this is more money than Pablo has ever made from a single venture. And has made him realize that, realistically, if he wants to make some serious money, this is how he's going to do it. Two months later, Fabio Restrepo is murdered. And there is a new man who takes charge of the Medellin cocaine business. And that man is Pablo Escobar. Now, it has never been confirmed that Escobar got this man killed, but it's widely agreed that he probably did. So, he's gone from, in the space of sort of three months, from not selling drugs at all, to becoming the kingpin for the Medellin drug cartel. And this is basically through being as ruthless as he physically can be. Pablo had everything at this point. Uh, He even got married to a a girl named Maria Victoria Helena Vareo, if I've pronounced that right. She was only 15, he's 26. Now, you've got to remember the time and the country that you're in before you make the assumption that I did at this point. The drug operation performed like it had never under Pablo Escobar. Escobar purchased planes, boats, cars to streamline everything from Panama through Colombia into the US. He basically made it a a viable business. He made it so it it would work. You know, there was millions upon millions of willing buyers of cocaine in the US and he tapped into that market and he made it so that cocaine was easily accessible for the American people. Now, unfortunately for Pablo, he still got his hands dirty. Now, he's in a situation where he doesn't need to do the drug running. He doesn't need to do anything. He is the top dog, but he still makes business trips. And he made a trip to Ecuador and coming back across the border with 39 kilos of cocaine in a spare tire uh, found him arrested and this would see him put away for a very very long time it's a lot of drugs pablo was in a situation where he was going to get sent down so what does any wealthy businessman do in this situation they try and buy their way out of it he tried to bribe the judge the judge flat out refused said i'm not taking a bribe so no this is going ahead now they did a bit of digging into this judge and found out that his brother was a lawyer 
his brother did not get on with the judge and they offered a lot of money to this brother to become Pablo's lawyer. He obviously accepted and therefore the judge had to step aside because of a conflict of interest with his brother being the defence attorney. Meaning that the new judge who comes in was probably more likely to take a bribe and did. So therefore Pablo walks free from 39 kilos of cocaine being found. Pablo had more money than he knew what to do with and he used his money to purchase land and farms in Panama, in Bolivia, in uh, Ecuador, all over the the South South Americas. Um, he purchased all the farms, all the canna- uh, cannabis, sorry, all the cocaine farms where the cocaine was being grown. He basically he owned the entire operation. He also owned all of the judges, all of the law enforcement agents in most of these countries as well. Um, He adopted a policy of silver or lead, which meant, well, it's it's exactly what it says. You either take the bribe or we're going to shoot you. Um, And he became ruthless. And even to the point of when uh, he was uh, sort of at his final demise, there were people in the police telling him and tipping him off. He was he was that well connected with law enforcement that he just didn't really worry about about law enforcement at all almost untouchable is probably the words to go with pablo was not the only drug lord in in colombia but he was certainly the best or the most famous everything ran through pablo escobar the money that he bought into the city changed Medellin forever in the 1980s Medellin went from like a shanty town to having high-end restaurants and uh, cinemas and things like that that it had never seen before it was becoming a, a metropolis of a city and this was all thanks to Pablo Escobar um, and I think in that respect he was seen as as a local hero he was still seen as this savior of the city now he had a lot of mansions he had a lot of planes helicopters cars everything that that you would expect from a multi-millionaire he also bought himself a football pitch and i mean a proper football pitch Uh, he leveled um you know grounds to to build football pitches he built stadiums uh, with floodlights Um, he even hired local commentators um to commentate the game um you know he was he really threw money into the city um and some of these football pitches that he he built um they're still there now you know he he really did invest into the city that he was from now whether you love him or whether you hate him whether you think he was good or bad um he certainly transformed the city of medellin um, he actually bought a massive mansion or ranch out just outside of Medellin, uh, which was called Hacienda Napoles. Um, he bought in a lot of exotic animals from all over the world. Um, this was a, a lavish ranch, and it was just it was un, unreal. Something that 
you know, people had never seen before. This this serious amount of wealth um, that he had was was unheard of. Pablo had a public life and a private life. His public life was denouncing the drug trade, saying he was nothing to do with the drug trade. He was just a local businessman, um, and he. This is what played to the city. The people loved Pablo Escobar. He did more for the poor people in Medellin than the Colombian government had ever done in their history. He threw money at the city. He built housing for the most underprivileged people. He built, you know, he stopped people living in in dumps and in shanty towns and things like that. He he built his own. Um, apartment complexes for people to live in he he spent money on the people and this made him extremely popular with the local population in private he was very soft-spoken you know he would almost come across as a gentleman um to an extent but you cross him and and you died. Um, there was uh, one occasion where he was at his mansion, uh, full of people. Um, an employee was caught stealing from him. The employee was brought to Pablo, with his arms and legs uh, tied together, um, and Pablo kicked him into the swimming pool. And everybody around watched this man drown. So he had that ruthless side to him, at which you would probably expect from a from a drug kingpin pablo with his public image being so good decides to run for congress and he's successful now he goes in as what i would say a backup candidate so he's not the main uh, congressman in medellin he's the number two if that makes sense uh, I don't know how it works in America, or or I don't think it, it certainly doesn't work this way in the UK. Um, but in Colombia, if the uh, congressman for Medellin is not available, if he's on holiday or he goes away for a week or whatever, um, or he's he's doing certain business, he will send Pablo Escobar in his place to take his place in in Congress. So. That doesn't doesn't work like that in this country. I don't think it works like that in America, to be honest. But it, essentially, that's how it worked in Colombia at the time. Now, the advantage of this is one gives him a better public image, which you know he's already got a pretty good public image, but this just makes it slightly better. Um, and two, it gives him what's called judicial immunity. Now, judicial immunity weirdly enough and again i don't think this works like this in any other country but in colombia means he is immune from prosecution he cannot be arrested for anything he's basically above the law there's no two ways about it the law can't touch him weird that you would put someone in power and then say that they're completely free from immunity um but that's how it works in Colombia. That's how it worked in the 1980s. Added to this, he has uh, like a an international visa now. He can travel wherever he wants. Uh, now, he could travel most places anyway, but the fact that it was Pablo Escobar, if he ever walked into the United States, I think people would have probably... He, he would have been investigated at least 
brought in for questioning. Um, now, he has diplomatic immunity, has an international visa. Um, he can go wherever he wants. No one can touch him. So he buys an $8 million mansion in Miami Beach. The next thing for Pablo is to buy his own protection. Now, he has some protection. There's no no denying that. But he, he purchases his own private army. And this is because a friend of his gets kidnapped by a group of um, militia, I would say. They weren't part of the army, but they were militia. Um, and he decides that no longer will he allow people from his regime or his family to be kidnapped. That's it. He's going to make sure this and he's going to create his own private army this army is going to be called death to kidnappers now i find that quite ironic considering he used to kidnap people but we'll leave the irony on the top shelf where it belongs and we'll focus on the actual army that he had now regardless of his army his wealth he was not looked at in a in a high status by the elites by the the people in power um they saw him as as what he was he was a drug lord they didn't see the positive things they just saw him as who he was and this was evident when he took his first ever seat in congress he turns up to congress um straight away he's denied entry because he's not wearing a tie he gets himself a tie his army is told that they're not allowed inside. No bodyguards are allowed inside the chamber. And he sits down well out of his depth. This is a poor man from Medellin who has never been in the high society. Um, he's never going to be accepted into high society. And he's surrounded by people who pretty much hate his guts. Now... The first instance, there's a man named Rodrigo Lara who stands up and gives quite a famous speech. Um, and he says, we have a congressman who was who was born in a very, very poor area himself. Very, very poor. And afterwards, through astute business deals in bicycles and other things, appears with a gigantic fortune. With nine planes, three hangars at the Medellin airport and creates movement death to kidnappers, while on the other hand mounts charitable organisations with which he tries to bribe a needy and unprotected people. And there, and there are investigations going in the United States, of which I cannot inform you here tonight in the House on the criminal conduct of Pablo Escobar. So, he's called out. Straight away, he's called out on his criminal activity and everyone can see it. Pablo took this as a challenge and he said to Rodrigo Lara, you have made this claim, I'm going to give you 24 hours to prove that I'm a criminal or you will face legal action. So he did. <laughs> the papers... The next day were swarmed with stories about Pablo Escobar and his illicit drug trade. The evidence was pretty clear and Lara 
basically stuck to his word. He proved that Escobar was, in fact, a, just a ruthless criminal. This led to his downfall. People could see now that he was just a ruthless criminal. The public image of him changed. Added to that, the he was kicked out of Congress straight away. He was removed from the political party. His visa to America was revoked. He lost his diplomatic immunity. And all of a sudden, he became the focus of what everything that was wrong with Colombia. For years, Ronald Reagan had been trying to get him extradited to America um, to no avail. The Colombian government was having none of it. But in 1984, Rodrigo Lara was shot seven times and killed in the back of his car. This meant that the Colombian government knew they were on borrowed time. They knew that he could get to any of them, and they were now more willing to work with the United States to extradite Pablo over there for trial. Pablo fled to Panama, where he was not welcomed. Now, he was welcomed the year before, but now they they didn't want him there. He was there for a little bit while 85 of his exotic animals were seized from his from his ranch and his business was spiralling out of control. He then was kicked out of Panama and ended up going to Nicaragua. Uh, when he got there, he found out that his 74-year-old dad had been kidnapped. This led Pablo on a killing spree he turned around to anybody who was loyal to him and said enough's enough they've gone too far anybody who is linked with kidnapping anywhere in Colombia kill them Um, and they did they went out and they killed hundreds of people uh, just gunned them down in the streets whether you kidnapped his dad or not they were they were gunned down. Um, this led to his dad being released, and it led to the Colombian government calling a ceasefire. The amount of people that were killed, uh, Pablo asked for certain things that he was never going to get. Um, he asked for to be immune from prosecution. He asked to be able to come home. Um, he asked to not be extradited to the US. He asked to... Uh, if he could use his influence in the drug trade to stop drugs and all of this stuff to go straight. Um, And they refused all of it, obviously. Um, But with this killing spree and what was going on in Colombia while he wasn't there, they were a little bit more willing to sit down and have that talk with him. Pablo returned to Colombia after his dad was released. And... He was given almost immunity by the people of Medellin to walk around freely. Um, Any police or army that entered into the town or the city um, were promptly gunned down. This was all-out war. Now, the first thing he did was go around and find all the judges in Colombia that supported the extradition to the US. Um, And they killed 30 judges in Colombia, all these judges who supported 
Pablo being sent to America. He even sent his private militia into the Supreme Court to hold them responsible um, for what was going on. They demanded that the extradition to the US was ripped up and he was not to be sent out um, in the pursuing sort of few hours uh, 11 supreme court justices were killed um 40 of his militia were killed um it was just a bloodbath uh, you know killings were happening every single day every day there was someone else being murdered on the streets it was just an absolute it was a riot that was you know which had Pablo Escobar at the helm. Martial law was declared throughout Colombia and on August the 18th, 1989, uh, Pablo's men murdered the presidential candidate for Colombia, Luis Galen. The Colombian government had extradited 20 drug traffickers to the US for trial. Um the Colombian government set up a police force in Medellin just to hunt down Pablo Escobar. But within the first four weeks, 30 of them, 30 of the 200 men that were stationed there had been killed. Pablo was not going quietly. All the killing was causing problems in Colombia. None more so than for Pablo Escobar. He's constantly on the move. He's constantly uh, one step ahead, or has to be one step ahead of the police, the army, everything. And he's relocating every single day. Every, probably sometimes more than once a day. He's in a situation where it's not good for him. So he's forced to negotiate. Now... In 1991, the Colombian government removed the extradition order to the United States, so he had no worry of being sent there. But he asked for preferential treatment. He asked to be placed in a prison of his choice and to be basically... He, he, wanted, he wanted control of his own prison sentence, essentially. That was, that was the, what he wanted, what he wanted. Now, he was sent to a prison called Le Madrigal, which um, isn't a prison, really. It was essentially a mansion with a barbed wire fence around it. Um, it wasn't a prison that we would know. It had football pitches, it had a bar, it had pool tables, snooker tables, um, TVs, um, everything. He had chefs bought in from local restaurants to cook for him. He had um, anything he wanted, essentially, brought into the prison. Now, he couldn't leave the prison, so prison is still prison, but, you know, he was essentially in a in a luxury hotel. Uh, that, was, that was the gist of it. Added to that, all the prison guards that worked at this prison, which I put in quotations there, that, not that you can see it, um were Pablo's employees. So he had no real issues going to prison because it was his prison. He owned the prison and he got to live like a king whilst he was in prison. 
Um, but he's still locked up. He may not be locked up anywhere that would be difficult to live, but he's still locked up. Unfortunately for Pablo, he still attempted to conduct his business. Now, this was a violation of what he was allowed to do, and moves were put in place to move him from this prison into a regular prison. Had he have just gone into that prison quietly and given up his drug trade and his businesses, um, he probably would possibly, you know, even still be here today. Uh, although he'd be 80, but or 84 actually, 83, 83. Um, but he would still be here today. Uh, unfortunately for Pablo, he just couldn't let go of that lifestyle. Now, he did catch wind of the prison or the 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 process to move him to another prison. Sorry, I couldn't really speak there, but they, he caught wind of that and was able to, uh, to escape the prison before they got there. Pablo was on the run again. He was hiding in the jungle. He was hiding wherever he could. And the Colombian government was after him again. The army was after him. The American government was now after him. And also a vigilante group called Los Pepes, which was the people persecuted by Pablo Escobar. Um, they killed around 300 of Pablo's known associates. Um, they just gunned them down. There was no, if you were linked to Pablo Escobar, you was dead. Um, and that's, you know, he was on the run constantly. Um, he wouldn't answer his phone he wouldn't speak on the radio he wouldn't make phone calls to anybody um he was completely you know just completely taken away from society because he knew that they would find him and on december the 2nd 1993 they did they found him in a house in medellin they booted the door down and Pablo tried to escape again. Him and his bodyguards ran onto the roof and were gunned down. He was killed by a well, he was shot several times in the leg, the body, the arms, um, but the killing wound went straight through his skull. The leader of the operation comes on the radio and says, Viva la Colombia, we have just killed Pablo Escobar. But one thing that's always puzzled people is the fatal shot went through his skull. Did he put that bullet there or did Pablo kill himself? Uh, Pablo Escobar has always said that if he was ever backed into a corner, he would put the bullet there himself just to take away the satisfaction of somebody else doing it for him. So we don't know. Did Pablo kill himself or was he killed as he tried to escape? Now, my personal opinion is he was killed as he tried to escape. I think when you're in, if you it, you can see the pictures. There are pictures of, of the escape, of him trying to climb over the roofs um, in Medellin. Um, so it's, I haven't decided yet whether I put that one up. I might actually put that one up. So... Um, you'll see that picture. You you will have seen that picture because it's on the Facebook group. And if you're not on the Facebook group, then you should get on the Facebook group because you'll see that picture. 
Um, but you'll see the image of him escaping justice. I don't think in the adrenaline that's going through his body to leave that building and run away from gunfire um, that he was going to stop and put a bullet through his own skull. So I personally do believe that he was he was killed by the authorities. But what do you think? Do you think he was killed by the authorities? Or do you think he had the time to stop and put the bullet through his own skull? I don't know. But what I do know is Colombia would never be the same thanks to Don Pablo Escobar. So... Let me know what you thought of that episode. I always like to get some feedback. Uh, I do do apologise uh, that it has been a bit, probably not the best quality, um, mainly because it's so early in the morning and I don't normally record this early. So it's, <laughs> it's been a bit of a, a, a wake-up call for me to try and record at, at 6 o'clock in the morning. So I do apologise for that, but I wanted to make sure we got this episode out to you guys this week. And because like I said, you know, you guys haven't had an episode for over a week now. So I'd give you two this week um, just because I'm nice like that. Um, but yeah, let me know what you think. Uh, let me know what you thought of the episode. Did you enjoy it? Do you like these real life stories? Uh, the ones that obviously talk about specific people. Do we like the specific people or do we like events? You know, there are two completely different types. When we talk about history, I can cover events or i can cover people but i you know i like to do a bit of both so you get a bit of both with me and um, hopefully you guys did enjoy that episode because i did enjoy it i it's one that's been requested and i enjoy learning things that i don't know a huge amount about and i didn't know that much about pablo escobar so it was a nice one for me to learn but let me know get your your emails over to me it's twihpod at gmail.com you can get in touch with me on Facebook. It is uh, just Facebook and type into the groups uh, This Week in History. You'll get us on there. You'll see the logo, the same logo that's on your app now. That logo is on the group, so you shouldn't find that very difficult to find. Join the group. I'll accept it, and you can join in with the games that we play on the group. It is good fun. And if you are on Patreon, you can always message me on Patreon. I do get back to them as soon as I can. Sometimes I am a bit slow on Patreon with messages um, just because I don't always get the notifications that they've come through. And until I actually upload an episode onto Patreon, I don't actually see that they've come through. So uh, you do have to bear with me a little bit on Patreon. But you can always message me on Facebook. Most of you guys have got me on there. And... Um, failing that you can get us on any other social media i am on tiktok which is dan underscore the viking um not much history content on there though to be fair it is mainly just me having a bit of a laugh so if you are on there get yourselves on there as well and give me a little follow so thanks for listening guys and remember we all have history make yours great bye bye in the heat of the moment you're not just keeping it calm you're keeping it cool too with an ice-cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply.